Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year. Welcome back to the Gills Talk podcast. I hope you all had a great and relaxing holiday season and a great start to 2024. Before we get started with our interview today, I do want to have a few housekeeping things to get started. First off, if you are a college student or a recent college grad, the Atlantic White Shark Conservancy has opened up our summer 2024 internship applications today. January 3rd. We have five positions available. So if you are interested, please head over to our website, AtlanticWhiteShark.org to be able to learn more about them. Our applications do close February 9th. The Atlantic White Shark Conservancy is also currently hiring. We are hiring the position of community educator where this position will be working with our education team to execute our education programs throughout the year. Some of those education-based programs do include the Gills Club, our school programs, and summer programs, all centered around shark biology, white shark research, and ocean conservation. So again, if you are interested in learning more about that position and maybe even applying, please head over to our website to learn more. Today, though, on the Gills Talk podcast, we have our newest Gills Club scientist, Adrienne Gooden. She comes all the way from South Australia, where she is a PhD student working with sharks. Our interview today is going to talk about the early beginnings of Adrienne's PhD project and a little bit more about what she is doing with them, specifically around white sharks. You will hear toward the end of our interview that Adrienne was going to be presenting her first findings of her PhD at White Sharks Global in Australia, which now that has come and gone, but I am excited to give a little bit of an update on her research since that conference has gone on. I was extremely lucky to be able to see Adrienne in person down there during White Sharks Global and to be able to meet her and see her present on her findings. As you will learn in our interview with Adrienne, she is looking at shark activity and how it is impacted by the changing environmental conditions. So in her work, she is looking at how those environmental conditions can drive factors in animal behavior. With that, she was looking at acoustic accelerometer tags, which were deployed on over 600 white sharks from 2020 to 2023. And she explored how those environmental conditions like temperature, tides, and moon phase, and time of day can actually influence the activity of sharks in eastern Australian waters. With her findings, they were able to identify that white sharks were more active between 6 o'clock and midnight at lower altitudes, and they were the least active between 6 o'clock and midnight at those higher altitudes. But exploration on how those environmental conditions influence the activity of white sharks is still being assessed. Overall, though, their study does provide a comprehensive understanding of the assessment of long-term changes in shark activity for bite mitigation, as well as any impacts of ocean warming and coastal development. And with that, let's get into our interview with Adrienne Gooden to learn more about her research working with white sharks in Eastern Australia. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Gills Talk podcast. We have one of our newest Gills Club scientists on. We have Adrienne Gooden on. So welcome all the way from Australia. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yes, it's so great to be able to sit down and chat. I love that, you know, we have technology in Zoom now that I can literally talk to someone that is an almost full day's travel away. And you're technically, we're kind of like 
almost like time traveling because it's 8 a.m. where you are, but it's nighttime the day before here. And so I love being able that we can still be face-to-face in some ways and still be able to learn all about your research. So I'm just going to kick it off to you. I would love to hear what current research you're at, where are you doing research? I know that you are a PhD student right now, so I'd love to hear a little bit of everything of what you're doing. Yeah, cool. Um, yeah, so I'm a PhD student with um, Southern Cross University based in um, Coffs Harbour here in New South Wales, Australia. So I'm working, my overall topic is the drivers of white shark behaviour. So um, using a range of biologging tools and machine learning models to sort of look at what's driving their behaviour, specifically looking at uh, environmental factors, habitat type, uh, prey and ontogeny. So as they uh, grow, how that behaviour changes as well. So I feel like then we can go in to a little bit of everything here. I mean, because obviously behaviors, if it's, it's in white sharks or a tiger shark or even just a little dogfish, you know, as you're saying, environment and habitat and food is going to change the behaviors in them. And even though we do see white sharks globally, you no, know, we see white sharks here where I am off of Cape Cod, but we see white sharks off of Australia, even though it's the same species of shark, it's the same large apex predator they do behave in different ways. And that's a question that I get a lot up here as an educator when talking about white sharks here. So then is there a sector that you are like concentrating in more or is it really more of this kind of well diverse spread out with all these factors that you were listing? We're sort of looking in an area. So, so the research is concentrated in, so my, my first chapter is the East, Eastern Australia. So the white sharks are moving from Tasmania up to Kagari and then back down again, um, or sorry, Gari, um, and back down again. So we're looking at that big spread of movement and how environment is, um, environmental factors is playing into that. Um, my next two chapters is much more focused in the New South Wales region, um, specifically um, more around where I am now because we're deploying much shorter term tags, so sort of seven to 10 days. So it's it's much more concentrated in the Coffs Harbour, Port Macquarie area. Um, and then my last chapter is much more global. With ontogeny, looking at that, it's, it's quite hard for a species like white sharks where you'll get an aggregation site, but often it'll be concentrated to site class. So in um, South Australia, for example, where they have the white shark cage diving, it's your, your sub-adult and your adults. And then here in New South Wales, we get our juveniles and some sub-adults. So they're, they're a bit separated and we can't compare those two for ontogeny. And to be able to do that, we've got to go global. So we can look across all the different areas where they've put accelerometers on white sharks and, and really tease apart what is a behavioural change due to that growth um, and what's a behavioural change due to habitat, location, temperature, all those other factors um, and really tease apart what's going on there. Yeah. And I'm sure that has to be such a challenge, right? Because even though on a, on a global scale, we do know a lot about great whites or white sharks, but we also know not a lot about them as well. And especially when we're looking at it with their growth over time, like you said, like those, those juveniles sub adult can be in one area where like those adults can be in a completely different spot. No one has ever seen one give birth, you know? So like, there's all these types of things that, so I'm sure that has to be a challenge for you. And when trying to like put these puzzle pieces together and learning all about this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I 
Um, I often say the the more we seem to know about the anim these animals, the less we actually know. Um, you know, you sort of answer one question and it opens up, you know, 20 different questions off that one. And and like you say, no one's ever seen them give birth. We've never seen sort of um, really any of that that happen. I guess the biggest challenge has been getting enough data for that. Um, and I think we're at a point now where there's so many different um, groups and organisations that have been deploying these tags on on a range of um, different sizes and different locations and things like that, that we can sort of pull that all into a model. So there's, um, I can't remember the name of it, but a model that I can use where we're wanting to look at, say, one behavioral factor. So say tail beat cycle or their acceleration, we can use that with body size and then be like, okay, we want to see how those two relate to each other, but also we need to consider all these other factors. So habitat, location, all those other things. And the model will actually take into account all those factors, but then also how those relationships are. Looking at this model, you know, that's just not like something, that's not a software you can just like download on a computer, right? You know, like that's something that you have to create yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there's, there's, um, information out there on on the internet on how to build those models but yeah we do have to sort of um build it and and decide what factors we're using and, and structure our data in a way that the model can then um read that and use it yeah so i think for anyone that maybe is in college that is listening and wanting you know if it is working with white sharks or maybe if it's another shark shark species or ocean species you know thinking about that and modeling that might not be something that might be on the radar for someone that is mm. going into this field because can you maybe like touch on that because I know there's some scientists that we bring on the podcast I was like yeah I did modeling in school it's something and then there's others that were like I was not prepared for this and I had to learn along the way yeah so I was definitely in the second category um I so we do uh, most of my modeling is run through a software program called R which is um pretty pretty ubiquitous in science really and it's it's its own statistic like language you have to sort of learn the nuances of that um but the bonus of R is there is so much data like so much information on out there on whatever you're trying to do there's all these um reddit forums and all these ones where people have asked questions and things like that but yeah for me it was a it was a massive learning curve jumping into into R and and um so for my honors I built a um supervised machine learning model where I had to do I have half a dozen dozen scripts of different different aspects to get my data into a format that the model could then read I, I actually think building the model was the easy part and running the model was the easy part but sort of learning the language and and how to get um, so I'm working with massive data sets that don't open in programs like Excel um, so you have to do anything from changing a column heading to merging multiple data sets have all got to be done in R. Um, and yeah, it was it was a massive, massive learning curve um, for sure. And, and um, I know now there are a lot more universities that are actually bringing in programs for, for teaching the basics of R. So when students come to sitting down and doing their own research, it's not such a such a scary thing on, you know, they know how to bring in data data frames or do all these different things. Whereas yeah, it can be quite daunting if you don't never seen an R script or an R screen before. Yeah. I have never done it. Um, I've seen it from our staff, staff scientists running her models. I always yeah. say it looks like she's running the matrix on her computer <laughs> just with everything that, that that's going, going through it. Um, so props to you for learning it um, yourself, because every time I look at it, I'm like, no, this is why I am 
not on that end of wow. the science of the science field. But you were mentioning tags earlier and you were mentioning other people placing accelerometers on. So is that the type of tag that you use? You said you you have one that only stay on for a few days or so. Yeah, so I'm using four four different tags, um, different biologging tools. Um, <laughs> so I can go through briefly each one. Um, so for my <laughs> for my environmental factors, I'm using what's called an acoustic activity tag. So that's a long a long term tag. So it can sort of be up to like ten years, and we can either implant that internally or, or place it externally. Um, and Basically, we have um, these array of receivers or listening posts. Um, Australia is a pretty pretty good one. And when a shark swims past one of these um, or any tagged animal swims past a, a listening post, the tag is constantly pinging and it's picked up by the listening post and we can get presence absence data that the animal was there. And um, with my tags as well, we get an activity metrics. So we're then able to sort of, yeah, look much longer term at, at their activity. So my main tag is a animal born camera and accelerometer. They have like a little camera on the front. So we get like this really cool shark eye view of what the shark's doing. So it looks like out over their head. And then it's got a little um, accelerometer in it. So we get um, that triaxial acceleration. So um, the up and down side to side and diagonal movement of the animal, which we can then get their dynamic body acceleration. We can get swim uh, swim speed we can get um how fast or how fast or how powerful that tail beat is their pitch their roll all sorts of different factors um and we also have other things like gyroscope and magnetometers which allow us to reconstruct their movement tracks so i'm deploying those with toad spot tags so toad satellite tags that while the shark is wearing that camera we're getting anytime that tag is out the water we're getting that location so we can link back their movements with their location and those tags are set um, we'll be deploying them from anywhere between six and ten to twelve days just over the next couple of years to sort of get a lot of that data so i did have a quick question then about the spot tags because you said they do have to you know break the surface for you to get that location so do you see a lot of times that great whites are or white sharks that are breaking the surface of the water with that dorsal fin. I know we work with um, a group here on the East coast. And sometimes we have sharks that their dorsal fins are breaking the surface all the time. And then others where we're like, where are you? Where'd you go? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So in this area, they've done a lot of work with fin mounted spot tags. um, So where they actually bolt it to the fin and they've got really good uh, detections from that. I've done two deployments with the accelerometers, which measure depth. And we have found that the animals are spending time at the surface. Um, it's looking like they're sitting sort of um, that tag sitting either just below the surface or at the surface. Um, and how the spot tag is, it's actually on like a 30 centimeter tether behind the camera. So it, and it floats. So it actually will float up sort of to the height of the dorsal fin, maybe a little bit higher. So we are hoping that when they're sort of near the surface, we will be getting um, readings from that. Awesome. Thank you for clarifying. Because I always know, like, I've heard it from other scientists that use them too, that sometimes it can be like a shot in the dark where the shark could be really close to the surface. Sometimes it's not, and you never know when putting them on. So I always like to ask, (laughs) but um, I do want to step back a little bit because, you know, you are working with white sharks right now, but has it always been white sharks or has it just been like sharks? Has it been oceans? Like, how did we fall into (laughs) this current research? Um, 
Oh, so when I was little, I wanted to study dolphins and then I grew up and um, realized that sharks where it's at. <laughs> so yeah, I've always wanted to work in the marine space. I didn't grow up near the ocean, but yeah, so honors project, I sort of reached out to a couple of, I was living in New Zealand, reached out to a few people in Australia who I wanted to sort of work with um, and ended up with a really great opportunity in South Australia, working with the team down there, um, working on the white shark cage diving industry and and working, uh, looking at how the industry impacts their animals' behavior and energy. Um, and then from there, I sort of, I always been in contact with my super, new supervisor for a while now and and yeah there was just a space for me to sort of step in and um sort of create my own research which was really exciting a lot of programs are sort of like here's your questions these are what you need to answer whereas there I was kind of able to formulate my own questions and and things like that which has been super super interesting <laughs> a little bit scary at how much uh <laughs> trust there is but yeah it's it's great that's awesome. I love to hear that. And it's always interesting to hear how people like get to where they are. Cause sometimes our scientists are, you know, like I had nothing to do with sharks and I just kind of like fell into this. Some like you, you know, were in with oceans and realms and kind of fell, fell their way. in. so I always do like to ask that, but in your way of coming up through school or anything, was there any like challenges that you face, like, especially going through now into your PhD program, any like challenges or things that you faced going up through everything? Yeah, so I guess a lot of people sort of saying not to pursue a marine science career, that there's not a lot of um, opportunities, your options are limited. Um, a few people saying that in shark science, if you're a female, it's going to be a lot harder, all of that sort of stuff, which um, is always super fun and certainly changing these days. Um, I think the majority of my PhD cohort are female, which is great. Sometimes you just got to do it, right? <laughs> Um, and pretty much ignore the na- the naysayers, use them to fuel your fire and yeah. just go ahead and, and do it, especially um, debunking and squashing that, you know, like women can't be in with sharks. That's why the Gills Club was created because a little girl came up to our co-founders was like, I was told that girls can't can't do sharks and it was only a boy thing. And we were like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> so, um, yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. Um, so thank you for sharing that. But then if it wasn't white sharks, like, is there any other shark species that I know since you're just starting your PhD, you're like, I can't think about another research project right now, I'm sure. But if there was another shark, shark, shark species down the road, would you ever like to work with them or even just see them? Yeah. Um, so as, as a few people have said on previously, it's not, for me, it's not necessarily about the shark species. Like I didn't set out to work with white sharks. It's just kind of how that's worked out. Um, it's more about sort of the question and, and um, answering that. Um, in terms of, I do have some bucket list shark species though. Um, so it'd be like your basking shark and, and thresher are probably quite quite up there that I'd love to see. And, and um, if that's where the questions lead study as well. Um, yeah. I like that mindset. Go take me where the questions lead me. And mm-hmm. maybe it will be a basker. Maybe it will be a, a thresher. You never know, but I do like that way in itself. With looking in then to your PhD research and everything, is there any early findings that you can talk about? Is there anything like exciting that you have maybe seen so far yet? Um, so we're still in the gathering data stage. Um, we are running some preliminary 
analysis for my first chapter, but we're still um, gathering the data for that and hopefully we'll be running that in the next week or two. Um, in the video footage, we did actually get some really cool stuff um, of my shark was sitting at about uh, 120 metres um, and it, it detected the presence of something at about 40 metres and we've got video footage of it just sort of boosting up to the surface to investigate what it was. Um, we had uh, twice, so we had one that was a hammerhead species and one that was um, sort of like a marlin species. It didn't um, go for them in any way, but it did go up and, and check them out. So um, it's amazing their senses that it was able to pick up an animal so far above it in the ocean and, and go straight up for it. So, yeah. Awesome. It's so interesting. Just They're so curious, aren't they? You would think like yeah. shark, like a, a fish species that can get up to like 18 feet in length in some parts of the mm -hmm. world that like they... They're so curious. Like, like you were just describing, um, we use cat, cat cats tags here within our org organization. And um, Megan has seen them like go down like to the ocean floor and flip over sea, sea stars. Why? We don't know. Like it's amazing. <laughs> um, you know, um, it's very sim similar to you. Um, they were cruising um not too too far deep. You know, our water is way more shallower here than what you are mm. are, are, are working with. And they, and the one shark all of a sudden just jetted up and realized that it was a cormorant bird. And it was like, oh, I don't want this. And it went right back down right away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. They did the same straight back down again. Yeah. yeah. They're just yeah. so curious. Um, it's so interesting. I mean, we've seen them. Um, we caught one feeding on spiny dogfish, went offshore and was feeding on them. So cool. Just so cool. Yeah. Yeah. We see them sometimes um, like seaweed and stuff floating on the surface. They'll like, we got video footage of them going up and they'll kind of like touch it with their nose and then other ones will go and like bite it and, and things like that. But yeah, they, they obviously are seeing it, especially something like that, that doesn't have any sort of auditory or um, electromagnetic cues as well. So it's, it's seen it and being like, oh, let's go see what that is. So, yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting. Cause smell cues <laughs> yeah that's what I was gonna say it's so interesting because yeah. like you know we always you know it's always the thing you're told as a little kid you know do not like don't make big splashes at the surface you know for things but then you know you're also seeing like this just non I mean it's motionless because it's I mean it has some motion because it's in the water yeah. but essentially it's motionless just at the yeah. surface and the shark's like what is this we're gonna go check it out they're so curious such curious beans yeah definitely <laughs> <laughs> um, well thank you for sharing that um I'll be so intrigued to see then what you find in your in your preliminary fi findings with this. We'll have to keep up to date with you on, on on socials. So I guess speaking of socials, where can we find you on? Um, Instagram. I have sharks and science. Um, is my yeah probably the best place to follow along. Perfect. Thank you. So everyone that's listening, go out and follow um, to figure, to see um, all the new and exciting things that Adrienne is doing as they are coming along. Then the last thing that I have for you today is as something that is a classic Gills talk end of the interview question is advice. So what would be advice that you would give to yourself starting out in this position? It could be starting in grad school, could be starting with, with, with your PhD or anywhere else along the way yeah probably just that everyone's journey is a bit different um yeah so I, I struggled with that a little bit being a little bit older starting my PhD compared to some of these people who start them in their early 20s and things like that 
Um, but yeah, that everyone's journey is different and, and um, yeah, so not necessarily going to go straight school, undergrad, honours, master's, PhD, um, but there is lots of other ways to, to get to where you're going. I love it. That's great advice to end on. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Oh, well, it's great to be here. <laughs> yes. Um, and I'm looking forward to seeing you in um, almost a month and a half now in in your neck of the woods in Australia for the conference. Can't wait. Very excited for that. It's going to be great. <laughs>